welcome to Pod Vanguard. I'm Andrea Gazetta. I'm Katrina Davis. And I'm Jordan Lee Williams. And today we're going to talk about Marina Abramovic. <laughs> what happened? Hell yeah. I was just, just, we were, because you said from the top and I said, make it drop. That's some wet ass podcasting. <laughs> and I just, I hate myself for it, but I can't stop. Oh, I mean, that's something that needed to be said. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, No, it's totally fine. Um, Today, I'm really excited to talk about a personal favorite of mine for reasons that will make sense a little bit later. Um, But yeah, Marina Abramovic started as a painter, but is known mostly for her performance art. So I want to get started with a short history of performance art. Um, It's Described as the presentation of an action intended to be experienced here and now. Um, It originated in the visual arts, but is also linked to physical forms of expression, such as drama and dance, though it is categorized as neither. Uh, The difference can be minimal between them. The concept of performance art also includes body art where the body is the only means of expression and performance has developed into a form of multimedia montage that mixes various media within the performance format that's like also considered performance art. So basically it's like a dance, but there might not be any dancing is how I think of performance art. (laughs) Well, I like mean, there's still choreography, I mean, even, there's still like, all these other elements, but it might not be like what we think of as quote unquote dancing, you know? And it's not even choreographed. Right. And there's so many things. Well, even within, I'll get into why from the beginning it was mixed. It was already from jump so many different things that some of them involve no movement at all. So that's why I guess they say that it started as drama and dance, but is categorized as neither. I mean, um, but yeah, so what we call performance art today originated among the Dada artists, um, constructivists and futurists of the early 1900s. Like when Hugo Ball performed a dramatic recital of the Dada manifesto dressed in geometric shapes. Oh, hell yeah. We talked about that in the Dada <laughs> yeah yeah the the episode that i got to actually enjoy yeah so like <laughs> well, i had tom like recite fan, yeah. the poem for us yes <laughs> that really ish funny. was crazy <laughs> so used in the 1950s and 60s uh as a challenge to challenge the notion of art as material objects such as paintings and sculptures uh, artists would use performance art as a way to prevent their art from being purchased and used for purposes that they had not intended damn <laughs> okay These anti-capitalist so. artists i love it yeah back when you could buy a house for four strawberries <laughs> <laughs> And if you were a little mouse, you could live inside those strawberries. (laughs) So in the 1950s, more and more artists. Oh, quick definition, because we'll use this term a little bit later. The concept of a happening is starts to come about. And unlike uh, it's sometimes mentioned in step with performance art, unlike a performance, a happening is an apparently unprepared series of events often aimed at getting the audience to participate. 
So that's why I said it's not choreographed because a lot of the stuff we'll get into is like the free will of whoever happened to be there that day. Yeah, it's kind of like an improv flash mob. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with like really scary tools sometimes. <laughs> it's like if you were an improv group and you were like, give me a word and they were like sexism. It's like that. Um, so in when the Keith and I first started dating, he ditched me at an improv show. Because the what? improv show was happening before the comedy show. And I was like, I don't want to uh, do this. And he sat me at a table and then went outside to smoke. And I was like, I really don't want to be in this improv show. This is awful. Everyone at an improv show feels a little bit like a hostage. So, <laughs> yes. Well, most of them are because they're waiting to go up. Like at least half of the yes. audience at any, even the best improv, like I've been to fantastic improv shows. There are still five to eight people getting up. Whole rows of people are there to perform. So it's like, you can't not have a packed out improv show. Um, but it's really messed up that Keith left you in there on the social obligation. That is a social experiment to leave someone that you don't know that well in an improv show and just see how long they're going to stay. I know we've been dating for like, like three I'm weeks. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Did, I'm surprised you're and you're still together. That's love. You're still you dating. Obviously, That's knew crazy. something yeah. about yeah. him because talk about trials and tribulations. If someone <laughs> I knew, my friend told me that story of someone they had been dating for three weeks, I would be like, mm, I don't know about this dude. Um, <laughs> that is not something you do to someone you care about. <laughs> <laughs> it's a zip zap. Stop leaving me at improv shows. <laughs> Horrible. Well, his oh. fans will ask, like, oh, does Jordan go to your shows? I'm like, no, because he leaves me at improv shows. That's yeah, smart. I don't want to get tricked into that again. I learned my lesson. Um, yeah, that's how you make it work for four years. In the 1950s, more and more artists in the U.S. and Europe experimented with artistic forms of expression beyond the um, our object. And this is when we first start to see the term performance artist pop up. So in 1952, John Cage presented his performance, The First Beaten, together with students and teachers at Black Mountain College here in the U.S., and he organized an event that included performances by dancers, poets, and artists, among others. The dismissal of traditional art boundaries created a space for these happenings and fluxes as they would come to be known to occur. So a fluxus is a, a term coined by the founder, George Masunas. I'm deciding it's Masunas. I think he's Lithuanian. Um, an American <laughs> designer. Um, a fluxus is meant to suggest both flow and effluence a loose international group of 50 artists poets and musicians um, whose only shared impulse was to integrate life into art through the use of found events uh, sounds and materials thereby bringing about social and economic change okay so is a fluxus like a group of people yes yes a flu oh, it's the like, flux uh, okay like, so it's um, like a so john cage started it's like a club a basically that was like right? hey look at this thing yes and then this guy george masunas um who was a designer 
started the Fluxus, which is like a name of a specific group of these 50 people. And the, okay. Oh, keep going. that makes sense. Uh, and some of the members included Dick Higgins, Allison Knowles, the Korean artist Nam Jun Pak or Paik and Wolf uh, Vostel from Germany. Just seeing if you guys know who hmm. any of those people are. Um, Interesting. And then, so now um, we will talk. Oh, just some like fun facts. When the artist, uh, <laughs> some like fun examples of it is a uh, Jartan Sledelmark, possibly turned up dressed as a poodle in the 1970s, and it was operating <laughs> on the boundary between happening and performances. It just like showed up in places. This dressed is as the a poodle. first furry situation this is how furry convention started he was the somebody first saw furry. that dude and was like you know what not gonna lie kind of into it um <laughs> <laughs> let's get dude, and it's the yipping. 50s or no it's the 70s yes in 19 in the 1970s so also it sounds like he did it multiple times well, yeah, but just think about how king. terrifying his homemade poodle costume must have been with all must that LSD. Been, yes. Like for the oh, plushy technology of the 1970s. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like the just Easter bunny pictures like that one of you those see. Elmo's. But a poodle. Yeah. That is pretty scary. You're making an excellent point though jordan because when you consider that psychedelics are a part of this equation it makes a lot That's more sense how you could when sit you in a room and be like, like that, we're just gonna like, pay oh, yeah. some yeah like when john cage is like we're gonna just play some random ass notes or i might just play one note and make you sit for an hour i'm like oh if you're all on shrooms like this is fine yeah. well cage started in 52 but if he got if he stayed around long enough then yeah um <laughs> but Oh, so then, and one more example was uh, a site-specific performance-like project was um, Ellen Wilkstrom uh, in 1993 bedded down among the food shelves in a supermarket in Malmo for three weeks and was just like, what if everybody did that? <laughs> um, okay, can I tell you my favorite performance art of this era? Yeah. It is called I Like America and America Likes Me, and it is by Joseph Boys, and he had himself transported to a gallery where he was just in a room with a live coyote. What? <laughs> I mean, hey, we're going to talk about some stuff like that. I'm excited. I'm excited that you're okay. bringing up people stuck in rooms with wildlife because it's so, going to come up again. We're going to circle but like, back. Incredibly, I am having a very uh, similar experience with my neighbor right now as we are recording. Uh, Is there a coyote in the room with you? Blink twice if yes. Jordan, no. no. So my, <laughs> my neighbor has been like doing an addition to his house and his roommate wife mother i don't know who this woman is but she comes out every single day and goes do you live here and he goes yes and she goes in long beach and he goes yes and she goes well i'm moving out and he goes okay and then she goes the construction is hurting my cat's ears and i'm just listening oh. to them do this right now as this is happening and it's just this a reset happens every day i am yes. having like the most absurd 
and it happens every fucking day and it's the worst but like I can deal with the skill saw I cannot deal with this woman going it's hurting my cat's ears and then she starts no I think that that she's gonna call the police that's the performance art would be if there was a room with a leaf blower in it and a room with that lady in it and you had to pick which room that's that would be (laughs) is dementia just a performance art yes it would be it would be called like leaf dementia and it would dementia get is really like all around forced the world improv <laughs> or like oh dust God. in the wind or something like that yeah oh she that's absolutely what I does but, Jordan. <laughs> yes I, yeah and i'm sure you guys are right <laughs> I love that Jordan was just annoyed. Like, God, what is it with this lady? She doesn't remember Jordan. I think these are genuine <laughs> questions. <laughs> okay, fair. Oh, my God. But, but uh, it's like so, if memory had jazz music. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> it's about the things you do. Yeah, because it's coming. It's in and out. It's really <laughs> following its own rhythm. Like, it's not even all that. It's like a little <laughs> bit of this, and then it's over here. It's like, whoa, curveball. Yeah. Oh, man. You can't follow it. Um, but uh, Marina, I'm brought Because uh, also, I say, I put an M in it a lot. I, I'm working on it. I'm sorry. Abramovic. Uh, oh, no. I make up her name born. every single time. Oh, I've been telling people about the show that we're going to talk about later and just being like, Marina, you know, you know who I mean. Um, But but Marina Abramovic was born on November 30th, 1946 in Belgrade, uh, what is formerly Yugoslavia and now the capital of Serbia, to an affluent family with politically active parents, Vohin and Danica Abramovic. So her parents fought as Yugoslav partisans during World War II and continued their engagement to General uh, Joseph Broz Tito's Communist Party after the war was over. Um, for their contributions wow. during the war, they were awarded high positions in the public sector. And Marina has described her family as the red bourgeoisie. Um, also, Jordan, I'm going to make pauses for you to chime in with historical placement information in case you have it. I was like reading stuff and being like, I feel like Jordan may have something that like places us in the certain time of when these uh, performances are happening later on. Like, OK, I don't yeah, know no, you, know you do will, this. Uh... Like somebody will say the year of art happens and you'll go, OK, so when this happened, this was happening here. <laughs> this was happening here. These people were fighting. Do you not know you do that? You totally do that. And it's great for reference. Really and funny. I was doing this being like, OK, Jordan's going to punch this up. So feel free to interject. <laughs> um, you give context. So you give scene right now. Yes, you give historical context the second you hear like when something happened. So um, I did it but, with the yeah, poodle so, costume too. Yeah, see, perfect. So her parents were deemed national heroes. Um, her father works for state security, and her mother becomes head of the Museum of Art and the Revolution in Belgrade. So she spent the early years of her okay. life with her maternal grandmother who was deeply and was deeply influenced by her orthodox beliefs, tons of prayers and candles and visiting priests. And that was just like her grandma's jam. She was like hyper religious. Um, But when she was six, her brother 
um, Velamir was born and she moved back in with her parents. Marina's father um, is not just well not not described she has more descriptions of what her mother was like raising her but she does say uh that her mother and father had a terrible marriage um she's described her mother as difficult and cold and she apparently had a compulsive relationship to cleanliness and order um and she was also she also recalls one time being beat for quote supposedly showing off and was under complete military style control um of her mother so um but sounds she was like a not fun really... time <laughs> yeah. yeah i was gonna so, say her description of calling them uh the red bourgeoisie makes a lot more sense because that is like a that is a an insult to mm. someone who has fought in the way that her parents did to then call them the mm. bourgeoisie so that that makes more sense now okay um, yeah, so, oh yeah, because she recalls a moment where her father sm- smashed 12 champagne glasses and then left the house, which, I mean, I want to know how this happened. What do you, I want to uh, know if it was like all 12 at one time. Are you like throwing right? glasses down for emphasis and then you run out of glasses and leave? Like just the visual of that kind of stuck with me. <laughs> and her or a butler's everyone. carrying a tray and you just flap it and over just, and walk out the room. And, he, and he's just like, hey. <laughs> now I'm sad for a made-up butler. Um, so... <laughs> Her, so although her the Abramovic family does not celebrate holidays or festivals together and rarely express their emotions, they had a proximity to art and culture that was a constant. Marina took piano, French, and English lessons and uh, was encouraged to express herself creatively through drawing and painting. And at 12, she was given her own home studio. And I put less hugging, more painting. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> That sounds awesome, honestly. Because they'll like, like acknowledge studio. that you're good at something and just be like, okay, go over there and do it. <laughs> I mean, my um, parents, my mom had, when I was a kid, I had an art cabinet. So I had like my own okay. spot. And then I had like my own yes. spot to draw where like I had to draw on the floor so I wouldn't ruin things because yes. it was like linoleum. So it was like, you won't get shit on anything I care about. This is where your shit goes. Like, don't get it all over my house. I had a quilt. <laughs> I had a quilt that like my mom would see me start to do stuff. And she would go, put your quilt down. And if I could do whatever I wanted on that quilt. <laughs> and it was just like covered with paint and stuff. But it was like, oh, put your quilt brilliant. down. Like, yeah. Just donate a quilt rules. to your kids. Sacrifice a I quilt, parents. It's pretty sweet. Um, so from the ages of 14 to 19, Marina developed her drawing and painting skills through classically figurative floral still lifes and portraits. Okay. Um, and then in her in her early 20s, she studied at the Academy of Fine Arts in Belgrade for painting. And during this period, her earlier figure expressions became increasingly abstract. She started painting clouds that were in ever-changing forms. And um, and this was a recurring motif for her school years. But then when she was 24, she continued her studies at the Academy of Fine Arts in Zagreb, maybe, or Zagreb. Um, and this is where she first began using her body as a tool in her art. 
and eventually mm. stopped painting altogether. She says, I was a painter before, but the first time I performed in front of an audience, I felt the electricity that I never felt in my studio. And this so is how stand-up stand up comedians <laughs> became. <laughs> I like that we both. <laughs> and you can no, hear No, I mean, I put that quote in there for a reason. So Yeah, yeah. It is true. What performance, I mean, like, one of the reasons that I stopped, I pretty much stopped creating art for myself and only did stand up for five years. And a huge part of it was that feeling that you get for performing on stage versus the idea that you make art and you put it in a gallery and you don't even know if people connect with it or not. So like mm -hmm. there is such a difference in how you connect with other people when you're doing a performative art versus a physical art. Mm. Yeah, so she at this school just finds tons of super cool performance art friends, um, among whom is uh, Nessa Parapovic, who she marries uh, at the age of 25, who is a conceptual artist. Okay. So um, now it is important to point out that this entire time, Marina has been living at home. She through her marriage lived at home until she was 29 what? um lived okay. with her parents abiding by their strict curfew um i think not through her Ugh. entire marriage wait it may have also been through her entire marriage i'll see when she gets divorced i wonder because, why yeah. it didn't work out so she could stay she had to be in she had to be in by 10 p.m. um and mm. she said all of my which this is like will be described later in the RPs we're going to talk about. But yeah, so it is for these years past this because she's doing it when she's doing works that have yet to come. So past the age of 25. So she says all of my cutting myself, whipping myself, burning myself, almost losing my life. Uh, everything was done before 10 in the evening, <laughs> which I kind of like. First of all, you know, she's sober <laughs> while she does it, which makes it more yes. fully insane. But yes. like second, my parents also had a 10 p.m. curfew for me when I came home from college. And then they're like, when I was like, well, I guess I'm just won't come home then. Then they're like, wait, whoa, 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 what? Why would you not come home to this 10 p.m. curfew? Like, I'm an adult. I have sex. Like, I don't need this in my life anymore. <laughs> it's so funny. When I was in high school, I would do that just because my mom, <laughs> I had a curfew and my mom was just uh i definitely had one of the earlier curfews but not the earliest i was like in the middle but my mom's more like i just worry about like i'm conscious until i know you're home and then i can sleep so i just started lying and telling her i was staying the night out all the time and then i would just sleep in my car places but that was just so i could stay that out is, oh my god I know, but it was like, annoying. and then she got on. She was like, you just say you're staying out so I don't worry about you, don't you? I was like, yeah. I was like, sometimes I figure, sometimes I really did. And sometimes I would like come home at like five in the morning to sleep and be like, oh, I couldn't sleep. But it was not because like, you know what I mean? My friend's floor wasn't comfortable just because I had like watched the sunrise and then come home. But it was like my <laughs> yeah. people find ways to get around things is what we're trying to say. Um Absolutely. But yeah. Well, I'm just really curious because usually like a very um, traditional, orthodox, strict, religious family mm -hmm. 
like a i'm shocked that she was 25 when she was married and not closer to Mm. 19 or 20 and b Mm. that they didn't immediately send her to her husband's home yeah i mean i wonder okay so that makes me wonder how religious it makes me wonder how religious her parents were compared to her grandma and okay um and if that rolled over as much and I wonder okay. if that was a point of contention, her not being, you know what I mean? And she was just used yeah. to, you know, just used to like, doesn't even mention that as a criticism maybe, but I don't know. Maybe she does. And I just hadn't read about it, but no, uh, I'm not sure. So in 1972, she uh, completed her graduate studies at the Academy of Fine Arts in, Cro- oh, in Zagreb, Croatia. And then in 73, she met uh, Joseph Buies in Edinburgh, whose happenings make a strong impression on her, greatly influencing her future work. Andrea? <laughs> yeah, Say that so. I'm going to mention him a little bit more later. Room. <laughs> That's Coyote? <laughs> nice. That's Coyote. Because I'm going to talk. We, they call him Coyote okay, ugly well, on the streets, actually. No, that's not true. <laughs> I made that up. Um, so, yeah. So he is her boy. She, he, uh, I'm going to talk about another one of his works later in uh, the seven. What is it? It's got a name that has seven in it. I'll say it in a second. But, um, but yeah. So she sees him, loves what he's doing, is greatly influenced by it, and then um, starts collaborating with other performance artists. So she collaborates with Herman Nietzsche or Nietzsche and or Nietzsche nah, no not Nietzsche definitely one or the other and then uh the performance piece Rhythm 10 in Rome and uh, the piece is one of five performances in the Rhythm series in which she explores the limits of the body and consciousness so now I get to show you some pictures here in a minute um Ooh, okay so um so just a couple of them uh, Rhythm 10 in 1973 is where she plays that knife game where you stab in between your fingers. Um, <laughs> oh, God. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. I had to look up the name, but I didn't. But it's a traditional, uh, like a game that she remembers, you know, from her childhood. She plays that game. But every time she stabbed her hand, she would just grab another knife. And she had 20 <laughs> knives. So Wait, that so was did one she of just them. leave the knives in her hand then? No, like she would like not like stab, you know what I mean? She would cut like get, you know what I mean, like the in between. Yeah, get the webbing. Yeah. Cuz she's trying not to. So she would cut anytime she cut herself at all, she would throw that knife, like the bloody knives to the side and pick up a clean knife and start Jesus. all over again. Oh my god. Um so rhythm zero in 74, she stood immobile for six hours in a room with 72 objects ranging from a rose to a loaded gun, inviting the audience to use them however they wished. This is Jesus. the first time I heard about her before I knew who it was. So this is my coyote guy where I didn't know who she was, but I knew that this is ha- this had happened. And then later was like, that was her. Um, so At first, the audience didn't do much and was extremely passive. However, the realization began to set in that there was no limit to their actions and the piece became brutal. By the end of the performance, her body was stripped, attacked, and devalued into an image that uh, Abramovic described as uh, the Madonna mother and the whore. 
Additionally, Jesus. markings of aggression were written on the artist's body. There were cuts on her neck made by an audience member. Her clothes were cut off her body. Um, with uh, she. Oh, at one point, someone, where is it? Someone put the loaded gun up to her head, but then someone else pulled it away. Um, oh, my God. But uh, she realized by the end of the, that the public might very well have killed her for their own personal enjoyment. So yeah. that was in 73. Oh, here we go. So described it later. What I this- learned was that it. <laughs> what I learned is that if you leave it up to the audience, they can kill you. I felt really violated. They struck thrones in my stomach. One, oh, here we go. One person aimed the gun at my head and another took it away. It created an aggressive atmosphere. After exactly six hours, as planned, I stood up and started walking towards the audience. Everyone ran away to escape an actual confrontation. So the second the exhibit is over, all of these people that are in there doing whatever they want to her ran away from her. Yes, this is okay to me. Psychologically, this is like a clear example of why we as human beings need boundaries, like why you need to be able Mm. to say like, no, you can't do that because other human Mm. beings just see you as part of their world. And if you don't Mm. advocate for yourself and you're you know what I mean? Like, that's so terrifying. But I it Mm -hmm. sounds like she experienced a lot of things as a child that led her to this place you know what I mean yeah it also just sounds so insanely self-destructive yes Mm. it sounds like she uh, grew up in a place where she wasn't really valued as a you know what I mean like it sounds like very authoritarian and she just didn't really have her own efficacy and in a lot of ways she continues to like not value her own body yeah well I feel like and I guess you, I see it more as not that that is not a reaction of how she was brought up, but more that she's showing people things that she's already experienced in private and bringing them to light and being like, people are mm. always like this if you give them the space to be that way. And, but, okay. and yes, sacrificing her That's body in a lot of ways that we're going to continue to see. Um but also I have thought uh, reading through these a lot about um, why you would choose this and what this does to your body. But we will also get into a practice that she has that leads into that. So, um, okay. but I, but also everything that you're saying, Jordan, put a pin in it because in Rhythm 5 in 1974, um, she... Um, makes a large petroleum-drenched star, lights it on fire, stands outside of the star, cuts her nails, toenails, and hair, throwing the clippings into the flame, creating a burst of light, and each time um, burning the communist five-pointed star to represent both a physical and mental, mental purification and the political traditions of her past. So in the final act of purification, Ambramovic leapt across the flames into the center of the large star. At first, due to the light and smoke given off by the fire, the observing audience did not realize that the artist had lost consciousness from lack of oxygen inside the star. Oh, no. So, however, when the flames came very near to her body, she still remained inert. A doctor and others intervened and extricated her from the star. Jesus Christ. God. Yeah. 
Abramovich later commented upon this experience. I was very angry because I understood that there is a physical limit. When you lose consciousness, you can't be present. You can't perform. So she was just pissed she lost consciousness. Like she was mad at her body (laughs) for having limitations of consciousness, which reminded me of Johnny (laughs) Knoxville in Jackass Forever, who gets knocked unconscious on a bull gets brought to a hospital is heavily concussed. And one of the first things they show him asking in the interview is did my bit before I got on the bull work. I don't remember like he had blacked out so much that he didn't remember what happened before he got knocked out. And all he wanted to know was if the bit worked. And I was just like, that's fucking performance art, baby. Like all you care about is the end result. Katrina, it is so hilarious that you bring up Johnny Knoxville because before we recorded the Dada episode, we had an in-depth discussion. I can't remember you were there, right, Jordan? I couldn't remember uh, if you for went up part to of something. it, but I've heard I've heard Keith's uh, speech about this. Yeah, but Keith basically oh, okay. posits that Jackass is like the number one performance art. It was his take, and I was like, "That's yeah. really interesting." I never I considered that. Wait. It's so funny that you're like. That, yes, that's exactly what you're saying. Like, that's so funny I to me. I cannot wait for Tom to hear this because I did not know you guys had that conversation. That yeah, so that's funny. extra funny. It's so funny. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so if you thought that was going to stop her, you were wrong. Because in Rhythm 2 in 1974, inspired by losing consciousness in Rhythm 5, she decided to incorporate it into her performance. In part one, she ingested medication she describes as given to patients who suffer from catatonia, which is when your body like freezes in certain yeah. positions yeah. that can be like associated with schizophrenia and other types of mental illness. That's like a nut, like a side effect, not a side effect, but like another symptom of, um, it can also be a symptom of like super severe depression. Yes, 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 yes. They were talking about just this general, I guess they were trying to describe what this medication would normally be used for. Mm, um, I see. And uh, the medication caused her muscles to contract violently and she lost complete control of, over her body while um, remaining aware of what was going on. Like this is legit in horror movies. <laughs> this happens in you. Um, after a 10 minute break, she took a second medication given to schizophrenic patients with violent behavior disorders to calm them down. The performance ended after five hours when the medication wore off. Jesus. So now horrifying. Yeah. I don't like it. (laughs) I do want, um, to show you one picture um okay i just pulled it up it's yeah that's terrifying um and well because you guys i wasn't going to show you the picture there the pictures of her from um rhythm zero are gnarly from the Mm. one where people were allowed to do whatever they wanted to her but i won't show you guys yeah they're awesome i just yeah it's upsetting it's upsetting, but to me, awesome in the way that it's just, that is, you can't argue with that being humanity. You know what I mean? Like, you can't say yeah. that that's from the twisted mind of an artist or anything like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm surprised um, that she survived some of these experiences because they are so well, horrific. That's what she said. You nearly know, lost my life. Out, she's like, 
Yeah. All before 10, baby. What were you going to say, Jordan? (laughs) This, the further that we get into it, the more it reminds me a few years back, there was this movement called Brutal Black Work. And it was a group of multiple tattoo artists who would tattoo one person at the same time. And the idea wasn't to create a beautiful image. It was just to tattoo their face, neck, arms, chest, and stomach as for as long as they could before the person had to tap out. Jesus uh-huh. Christ. And like the images that come out of it really do look more like somebody torture just got yeah tortured like it's it looks horrifying and it's it's very Uh. abstracted because they're just dragging the machine across their face and making lines and just across the neck like and filling it in with as much black ink as they can like it's it is right it's brutal oh my (laughs) gosh yeah no thanks but like you said, that's definitely taking the art to, again, it's like, yeah, as a tattoo artist and the tattoo artist that we know, the tattoo artist that we all know and love, M, can you imagine M wanting to do that? Like <laughs> right. wanting she would not. To, There's no way. She would be like, no, I want to either make something pretty and she works so hard to make sure that you like feel as okay as you can, even though it's going to hurt. You know what I mean? So the idea that's also again, reflective of the artists that decide to participate and know what tattooing feels like, and are just doing that across someone's face like that. I mean, if you think that that's your art, then go for it. But like, if you normally draw things and you're like, this is what we're doing today. It's like, that is kind of an interesting decision. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was it like you have to sign up for that. That has to be a thing that you yeah. are completely OK with, because that is a permanent mark on your right. body forever. Uh, yeah, there's and so the, an so, element right. of sadism involved. Yes. And that's kind right, of that's what, what I was going to say for the person that signs up for it. Is it the masochism part of it? I mean, because it's both. Do you want your tattoo to look like that? You know what I mean? Like, did you just want something that chaotic? I, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. No. And there's, there's a movement Mm. and cause this, this kind of, it felt like it came out of this other movement of abstracted tattooing where they would take the stencil uh, ink and mix it with water and do these like elaborate paintbrush strokes and, you know, splats. And so it's just these like full body pieces moving across the body um it's really beautiful stuff the the brutal black work i think came out of that and then just took it to the logical extreme yeah there's oh, yeah gotcha. that's that's a lot man um, <laughs> yeah so in 1975 um marina moved to amsterdam after the rhythm series uh because rhythm 2 was in 1974 so in 1975 she moved to amsterdam and a year later began collaborating with frank ui lispin or lysipin lysipin we'll see who goes by the by name Ule, which is way easier to say. Love you. Um, a like-minded German artist who um, began a, oh, they began working together with a series that focused on gender identities and um, 
other like interests of the time. So in 76, at the age of 29, she divorced Nessa. Oh, exactly. Perfect. So in 1976, at the age of 25, she divorced Nessa. And throughout her marriage, she lived with her mother. But after the divorce, she flees her repressive family home and moves in with Ule in Amsterdam. So she does not move out until she is 29. That's okay. so crazy. Jordan's face Imagine looks so married. sad for her. I just married so and coming home by too. 10. Like, yeah, no, I mean, like, it is just, it's so, there is something so horrifying about like, okay, you had a traumatic, volatile childhood with abusive, neglectful parents. And then as an adult, you decide that art is abusive and neglectful and torturous. And that is your escape. Well, I think she's internalizing what's happening to her, you know, like she's internalizing like that. I mean, that's really common when you suffer abuse. Like, oh, let's let's get into therapy. Uh, Like when I go to therapy and stuff, it took me a really long time to name abuse that happened to me as abuse because yeah. it was done to me by my caretakers. So it's like. Well, well you know, but you they love me, though. With. And so you internalize, like, oh, I deserve this. Oh, this is okay. And it took me a long time to be like, oh, wait, no, I was a fucking child. Like, I didn't deserve any of that. No, and I'm not saying, like, and I'm not saying her reaction is not normal. What I'm saying is yeah. it's horrifying. It's it is horrifying. It's just so it is. demoralizing. Like, I completely understand. And in the 70s, Therapy was not exactly as prevalent as it is today. Well, it sounds like uh, she's but sort it's of just trying to create her own type of therapy through art in some way. I never understood any of this about her. And so I think it like her work makes so much more sense to me now, you know, but it, it's yeah, it's mm -hmm. fucking sad. Well, um, actually, a lot of the work that we're about to get into is still very much Marina, but actually has, I think. A, develops in a way that is indicative of her moving out of her parents' house because for the next two years, her and Ule created a number of works together uh, under the title Relation Works. They wrote a manifesto, Art Vital, which set, to uh, set the course for their artistic practice, um, and they decide to be in a perpetual state of transit. They formed a collective called The Other and referred to themselves as a two-headed body. So I feel like at least for this time in her life, she is kind of just immediately going into codependency. What will be kind of yeah, a great. Uh, I well, I feel like yeah, they're going to do a lot of that and create a lot of stuff together. But it's also a lot of it kind of gets away from it. From the outside, looks like it folks. Uh, gets a little bit away from her possibly blaming herself or hating herself or things that look like that from the outside and have more of a commentary yeah. on the world and discussion. And uh, we're going to get more into watching people react to things and stuff like that. That to me reads a little bit less um, self debasing. Is that right? Okay. Mm -hmm. But to Andrea's point, like, so just to kind of drill down to what I was trying to say, 
when I have been at my worst and my least medicated and my most destructive, I have actively recreated those traumas. And that is a trauma response mm. where you are just putting mm-hmm. yourself in as many dangerous situations because you do feel like you deserve it. And that is yeah. really what it feels like her early art was, was I don't Absolutely. care if I live or die. I am just going to do the most. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's fucking brutal, man. Yeah. And it's yeah, definitely making like... my stomach hurt. <laughs> Cause it's yeah, like, mine I too. can feel like the, what that feels like. And so it's yes. just like, Oh no, <laughs> someone yeah. hug this girl consensually, please. <laughs> like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, that's what I think she's going to get into, like, a decade-long hug with someone that she makes a lot of her art with. So it might be, like, the the other extreme, but yeah, um, okay. I think Ule is, like, 100% a safe space for her. You know what I mean? Like, that's all. Yeah. Uh, the art is still the art, but a lot of what we're going to see is her making things with someone that, you know what I mean, she definitely feels like a two-headed body with. Um, yeah she feels safer with them than she does alone or with her family right um so for the next three years they live and work in a van while traveling through europe uh the performance piece imponderabilia is presented um in bologna and then they create breathing in and breathing out where they connected their mouths and took in each other's exhaled breaths until they had used up all the oxygen. 17 minutes after the beginning of the performance, they both fell to the floor unconscious, their lungs having filled with <laughs> Jesus <carbon dioxide>. Christ. <laughs> this personal experience I mean, okay. explored the idea. Wait, look, this personal piece explored the idea of an individual's ability to absorb the life of another person, exchanging and destroying it. I feel horrible because the only thing I can think is like Keith and I drink so much coffee. I don't want him to breathe on me. Yeah. That you're just thinking about the breath alone. Not even the fact that it's not what your body needs to run. (laughs) I mean, I don't think that either of them cared. Yeah. This is like the human equivalent of putting the car exhaust into your mouth. Like, what are you doing right now? What this is sounds this? like so- this sounds like something that someone would say about their crush when they're in like sixth grade, where you're like, <laughs> I wish that I could just breathe all of the air that you exhale and then you inhale my exhale and we just do that back and forth until we both die. Like that sounds like something you would say about like in sync. <laughs> um, it's just that. Just I fell in love with that. an emo girl. <laughs> <laughs> So this is really, I just wanted, I wanted, I wanted Jordan to hold on for the other side of the coin. Um, like it's still Marina, but she's doing it with love now. No, it's fine. I was like, (laughs) you're right, but hold on. Uh, You are not wrong at all. Like that observation is spot on, but she does it when she's happy too, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, in uh in 1980 they performed rest energy in our exhibition in dublin where they uh balanced on either 
Um, this is another one that I remember from before I really knew who she was. Balanced each other on opposite sides of a drawn born bow and arrow with the arrow pointed oh, at Abramovic's heart. And with almost no effort, Ule could easily kill her with one finger. And it seems to symbolize the dominance of men and what kind of upper hand they have in society over women. In addition, the handle of the bow was held by Abramovic and pointed at herself. The handle of the bow is the most significant part. And uh, the whole, oh, having her hold the bow as if she is supporting him while taking her own life becomes this like added thing of it. So there's a picture of that. Oh, I've seen. This is so this funny. Is that this know. is how I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah. So this that's young her piece in particular. I think there's something interesting about the sort of like banal way that this is displayed because it mm. is loaded. Like it's real, but it feels like it has to be fake because it is so difficult to imagine that someone would put themselves in that position where they are in real yes. danger. Yes. That even when you yeah. end there, you would be like, but that's rubber or something. But that's not, yeah. <laughs> but she is literally putting herself in very real danger. She's choosing to do it. And her face, like unflinchingly, her face does not yep. change. And she holds that position for hours, which I think is this like interesting thing about just like being so comfortable with your trauma and PTSD that you're just like, this is just how it is, baby. Like we could die right now. Who gives a shit? Yeah. I do want to show you this picture of another installation, but that is indicative of how I feel um, we're interpreting their relationship. So that's them. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> tied together. Oh, and yep. the braided ponytail. They sat that way um, for like seven hours or something like that, and then invited the audience oh in God. to try to pull them apart. And it was like, rep- I might, oh I might talk about it later. But um, do you guys ever have a realization? Because I keep having this realization while we're talking. A, it is making me tired just thinking about it. Like. Having that much energy to stand and just be a fucking chaotic weirdo for that long for hours and be. Yeah, I can't. I have major depressive disorder. And so, like, I don't know, man. I just I don't have the energy to be like that. That's so Mm. fucking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll talk about it in another one that's coming up soon, too, is. Yeah, the. Uh. It's physically taxing. How exhausting. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. How taxing yeah. all of this is on your body and yeah. your mind. So the she, la- like, prepares uh, last for it. Gonna... Right, exactly. That's what I'm going to talk about later. So this is a picture of it. Um, it no, it's fine. Uh, this is a picture of imponderabilia where they stood naked facing each other in the museum's narrow entrance, forcing vis- visitors to squeeze between them. And in doing so, you have to choose who you face. so i actually recently met huh oh i would have just been like i guess i'm not going to the museum today (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
Also, that's so funny because Jordan just doesn't know it's an exhibit. She's oh, like, yeah. oh, I was going to go to the exhibit, but there's two naked people standing in the middle of the entrance. So I guess I'll that come back exactly tomorrow. That would be what <laughs> happened. I'd be like, I'm not dealing with this. This is making me very uncomfortable. Uh, I'm going to go take my fucking sister wife hair and go home. Here's the thing. If you go to any alley in Skid Row, you can per- you can also experience this performance art because it's happening yes. right there at all times. There's just naked this people actually- and you have to pass by and that's what's up. But also you... Uh, those people are not still they are normally on the move like i never if there's somebody with no clothes on on skid row they're normally running they think they're on fire like there is normally some real shit like i've seen some naked people none of them have been stagnant none of them have been like oh my b like yeah, pardon me facts. on the sidewalk <laughs> yeah they're not very um, polite yeah you're right you're right <laughs> I will say, too, that um, Imponderabilia uh, sounds like a podcast name about obscure philosophy, where, like, every week, it's like, here's the, the obscure philosophy, Imponderabilia. Think about this. And it's by those guys who used to write for Obama. What? Isn't that the Crooked Media guys? They have a podcast network now? I don't oh, know. I don't know. Oh, okay. Um... Oh, but I actually talked to a woman that went to a re-performance of this, not with Marina, with people oh, that have been trained in okay. her methods. And she um, mm. said, uh, not what you said, Jordan, about turning around, but she was like, it was awkward, but I did find it interesting watching once I was done, watching people pick who to face. And even mm, watching, okay. like, mm. would you rather face a woman or face a man and their uh gender identities and how that played into it and she was like it was interesting to watch once i was done doing it she was like it was a little awkward but uh but yeah i just met someone that has actually experienced uh, a re-performance of this exhibit uh for me it matters <laughs> you know what i'm gonna say no it matters no. if he's hard or not no it's, the just... choice is different <laughs> oh I didn't know what you were going to well, say. Yeah, I was just already laughing because you were like, for me? And I was like, what is she about to say? Because <laughs> that's really already... Boner. That, uh, yeah, that makes it h- harder to get through. It makes it... Well, it's then like, it's like you're trying like to push through a turnstile. The- yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, do you push it to the side? Do you try to walk over it? Because then I would it's have like to face stopper. the man because I'd be like, I don't want to break your dick by trying to get you gotta go down if i'm not looking yeah you gotta go under you gotta go low okay Okay. i bet i bet that they're physically uh helped by the training that we're going to talk about later her method and how she Mm, kind of has been preparing for all of this stuff that she we're in 1980 so this is kind of when she starts um teaching this method to other performance artists that we'll uh, talk about later uh and also when we're getting into the young republicans oh yes also that's so (laughs) funny i'm really glad if we're talking about the same thing yes it's so silly so um oh so they did that they do a bunch of traveling because they're still being transient in their van that they dedicated themselves to she went to the great victoria desert she studied with the dalai lama um she um was yeah financially supporting themselves i mean i think it's also that she i don't know if she kind of is totally live in a van so family finances where if you have whatever i don't know if she was like i don't think 
because of tributes that she does later in her life, I don't think that she was like cut off from her family or anything. Mm, so I wonder yeah. if uh, through finishing well, her art school, then sales. she was doing other things. Cause she's already doing right. She's doing artworks. And, um, a lot of these works are reperformed, especially the ones we're about to get into. So they're in the van. They learn or not learn, but are inspired by, meeting these aboriginal people in australia all of these things that are happening and they bring back this devised piece um but these works that she is inspired by these aboriginal people will come up uh later in like a very uh social like you know cancellation way so that's why i'm going to talk about that now but in 86, they are inspired by this art or inspired by these Aboriginal people and all of their travels in the van and come back with Night Crossing. It's this new performance art that's basically Wait. a meditative piece. When you say Aboriginal people, do you mean from Australia? Did they go to Australia? Yes. Okay. Yes. So they are like in, um, so they go to India and meet the Dalai Lama and they also go to the Great Victoria Desert. Mm, and um meet with aboriginal people um oh they live with the uh, the bintubi tribe for nine months so influenced by the aboriginal culture they created the performance piece night sea crossing a prolonged act of mutual meditation and concentration it's shown for the first time at the art gallery in new south wales and sydney and performed all over the world and including um, Cassell at Documenta 7, Cologne in Dusseldorf, Berlin, Amsterdam, Chicago, and Toronto. So even what you were saying, Jordan, now even, I bet they're going to start being able to at least sustain themselves because this show gets performed at a bunch of different places. So they must get grants or some type of payment from ticket Something, sales or the gallery right. to like fund For their time, this. anything, right. Yeah. So... After all of those performances, they invite their travel companion from the Great Victoria Desert, uh, the, the, the Tibetan Lama Nengwang Sopa Lusnar and the Aboriginal Tarli Taruru Tajungurai to perform a new version of Night Sea Crossing together that lasted four days. So they did all of, they met all these Aboriginal people, made a bunch of friends, came back, did all of these um, performances. And then for one performance actually brought the people that originally did this and brought it to their attention. Um, and that's going to come up a little bit later. What is Night Sea Crossing? Night Sea Crossing is the name of their piece, which is literally them just meditating and concentrating together. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. No, no, no. I just needed to know what they were doing during the. Yes, they are. They, it is a meditative concentrating thing that they are just in a room together. And then that other one sounds like it was them and the two men that kind of guided their original trip doing the same okay. thing, but for four days. So I guess people are just coming in and out watching them do these, this meditative concentrative state. So in 1986, Ambramovic and Ule started working on an idea about a performance walk along the Great Wall of China. Um, they applied for support. They're trying all of this, like 87, 88. They're trying. They're still, they're writing all these letters, doing all these things. So it's called The Lovers. Um, Abramovic walks from the Shanai Pass at the wall's east end, while Ule walks from the wall's western end near the Gobi Desert, uh, and after 90 days, they meet. 
The reunion marks a definitive end to their romantic relationship as well as a 12-year-long artistic collaboration. So by the time it was like it turned into this thing where I feel like even in documentaries and stuff, it reads as they thought of this idea as their breakup idea, but they had been trying to get a grant to do it for so long. And it happened to, I think, end up working out when they broke up. So she said she conceived the walk Mm. in a dream and provided that, uh, she thought it was an appropriate romantic ending to a relationship full of mysticism, energy, and attraction. She later said, we needed a certain form of ending after this huge distance walking towards each other. It is very human, uh, in a way more dramatic, more like a film ending because in the end you are really alone, whatever you do, which I think is also kind of indicative of some of the things you have, y'all have kind of drawn from her art, uh, that I also kind of fuck with. Um, I think that there's something really beautiful about this, though. Like, to me, I think that it's interesting to see how she grows as a human being in her own self-awareness through her performance art and how she grows in her relationships. Like, to have the peace of mind to make a breakup or performance piece is really interesting. And I feel like... part of what is possibly her trauma or just her regular personality, whatever it is, the ability to accept that so real time is kind of an effect of her being able to attach from other kinds of pain also to be able to accept the ending of something after that long, to be able to accept the ending of something like that, that when you started, you were a 29 year old that had just moved out of your parents' house to be in that place with it. I was just like, yeah, this is, kind of cool that she was able to do that um so she reported during her walk that she was reinterpreting her connection to the physical world and to nature she felt that the metals in the ground influenced her move and the state of being it took um and and her state of being it took the couple eight years to require permission from the chinese government to perform the work oh holy shit wow right so that's what i was saying about i feel like they show it in things is like look at this amazing thing they're doing when they decided that they were gonna break up and it was like no they were just getting rejected for years and that i think could even more so read into like how something's kind of like the timing of something and it finally working out then and being like this is when it was maybe meant to work out anyway because now it means this um yeah yeah. that's kind of poetic and beautiful Uh, So in 1990, she moved to Paris, um, but she keeps her apartment in Amsterdam. She became a professor uh, in Hamburg where she was awarded a stipend that includes an apartment and a studio in Berlin, as well as an exhibition at the new National Gallery. Uh, You can tell I don't know how to say that for my inflection. For the next few years, Marina does a few more plays, uh, retrospective. She also, yeah, I've been trying to like not put everything in, but every once in a while she'll do something different. Like she'll do a play. She'll, you know, there are other, even if it's a performance piece, there'll be more of these later, but performance pieces that play in different ways. Like, uh, yeah, so... For the next few years, she does a few more plays in a retrospective um exhibition uh that i also think i have a picture of where she cleans a dirty skeleton and um it's playing on all of these different screens at one time and by the end the skeleton is clean but she's dirty is it a real human skeleton or is it a fake human skeleton 
It just says human skeleton. I am not sure. Then it's a but real I would human say skeleton. <laughs> it says a huge, yeah, all the, um, where is it? Uh, a filthy human skeleton sits in her lap and different screams play the ribs, hands, feet, heads, and pelvis all being focused on by a different screen with different sound playing over it. And they all play at the same time. Um, so she's doing that amongst her plays. 1997 was a huge year for her though. <laughs> she won the golden lion for best artist at the Venice Banali for her exhibit, the Balkan Baroque, a video and live performance that I'm going to get into. That is amazing. After I brag about the fact that I went to the Venice Banali, this is the only time I ever get to bring it up naturally. It was what? the best day of my life. Um, <laughs> when did you go? I've I never been. Go- I went to Italy three years, three or four years ago, like 2018. Yeah. And that's so that it was happening while we were there. And it was the, not literally this exhibit because this was 97. I was small, but um, just being there and seeing um, all of the art was amazing. It was the place, I can never remember the name of it, but there's a thing that, uh, um an italian artist made up and it is like literally the sickness from something being so beautiful and Mm. i turned into the plaza in venice and started bawling crying and couldn't stop and my boyfriend at the time was like this is happening like he was like you're so overwhelmed by the beauty you feel sick um but it was great so so cute uh, but this, but well, cause also in, in Banale, there was art that I was in love with that he, it was so funny. Cause I would be like, this is awesome. And he was like, I do not like this because it was like emotionally upsetting. Like I was like, <laughs> yeah. that's cool. And he was like, I don't know why you want this. Like I have a poster from there and it's of us. Um, a fam- uh, it's like a famous photograph, but it's, uh, it's someone in a wheelchair, like a blurry picture of someone in a wheelchair waving and dancing and the back of the wheelchair says dance with me or something like oh. that. And I was like, this is the best poster I've ever seen. And he was like, mm, you're messed up. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, Marina's exhibit at the Banali is indicative of my visit there and the things that I gravitated the most towards because she won an award for, um, a video and live performance that examines her cultural and familial identity by recreating the horror and armed conflict of the Balkans war in which she positions herself in the middle of the space, washing a massive pile of 1500 raw and bloodied veal bones to traditional folk songs of her childhood. She interviewed her mother, her father and a, Oh, what is the man? Like a, a rat catcher. She interviewed her mother, her father, and a rat catcher and played their interviews so you can hear her mother and father speaking about different things that they've done in their lives in terms of war and all this stuff. She has pictures of her parents' hands, and then she's in the middle like this. Can you see? Oh, that's intense. Um, at one point she says, I remember the smell. She was like, I remember watching worms come out of the bones. Like she's surrounded by veal bones and they're huge like big femur veal bones and she's covered in blood and the whole idea is basically that you will never be able to clean all of this off um it's pretty sweet wait i have a question because i only know uh the rat catcher from suicide squad 
and comic oh. books. So what is a rat catcher in real life in regards to a war? I mean, I think that person caught rats for a living because we used to have rat catchers. So I think it was a man who really? got paid to go places and catch rats. People, uh, yes, we used to have them a long time ago and they would catch rats and like basically relocate them. Sometimes they would resell them as pets, but I think it is an actual rat catcher. Okay, because I was going to ask, we can double what check on that. did it have to do with her parents? I think it's her mother and, like, and her father as the red bourgeoisie, as she calls them, and a rat catcher as a common person living in the same place. Okay. I think that it was her oh, going back and okay. kind of comparing the people that she grew up with and their place um, in war compared to an average person. That's what my take yes. was, was that okay. he was just the average person she's comparing her parents to. Okay. But I could be wrong. I don't know. But yeah, so that won tons of awards, but also pissed a bunch of people off. Um, like they did not like it at all. Um, she's invited to the Serbia Montenegro, uh, but breaks off in a collaboration. And then this performance piece is shown instead at the Italian pavilion where people still got upset about it. Um, and then that same year she met Paolo Cannavari and they began a romantic relationship. And this is where I said, Marina is the Madonna of performance art because she's just like having 50th <laughs> birthdays with performance artists, like still shocking people getting kicked out of places, marrying new dudes. It's just like, get it going. Um, so Hell yeah, dude, <laughs> Uh, in 98, she became a professor, um, at a place that I will not, a I will not attempt to pronounce in Boschenweg, Germany and ahead of the forthcoming projects develops a workshop called cleaning the house, a series of exercises and concentration that presents a purification of the body and mind. So these five day workshops, she takes students to places that are too hot, too cold, never comfortable. You would never um eat enough uh you would have water and tea but without talking or doing very hard physical or mental exercises um then they will make a work out of the art so basically she's trying to train people to be in a mental state state where your physical comfort does not affect your mental comfort like that seems like it's what her goal is possibly. she's almost <laughs> pushing dissociation a little bit i mean it, it yeah. it's meditation where you are outside right. of your body in some ways but yeah she's almost yes. like forcing you to be outside your body which is interesting right well it also sounds like um, how cults get their people oh yeah that's what i thought you were gonna say andrea and the <laughs> like, only reason yeah that's also true the only reason <laughs> i feel better about it is because she is always still acknowledging the limits of pain and her body and things where she'll be like i can't do this this way anymore or i did this until i could not physically bear it anymore or things like that she never goes into i reach so i'm so good at this i feel nothing and that's the only reason that i'm <laughs> okay holding cult reserves um, but no, it definitely sounds like that. Um, she, and I feel like even this definitely sounds like this in 98 and then she'll pull it back. Um, she, uh, choreographed a performance together with, um, some Tibesh, Tibesh, Tibeshan, Why do I keep saying You've that? really been Tibetan. on the Tibetan wagon today. 
And it's not spelt like that. I'm making it that way. Tibetan It's because you saw Venice. You're like Venice Venetian. Tibet Tibetan. I practice so many names and names and buildings that were not English that I don't trust letters anymore. Um, <laughs> like I'm not trusting what I'm reading to pronounce it that I'm way because imagining. I was trying to like find phonetic ways to copy how to say Ule's name and I couldn't even do that. <laughs> I want a t-shirt that is just Katrina holding with like the lock on the door, like holding it open just a little bit to see. And it's like the letter T with a gun. <laughs> Just like <laughs> trying to get in. And it just says, Very I don't trust letters anymore. Katrina Davis. <laughs> I don't. I don't trust what I read. Um, I don't trust letters. That's like a dark side of Sesame Street. Where like, yeah. They never tell you about the letter T. The letter T has actually killed five Sesame men. <laughs> um that's so funny um the letter so, t yeah, is a so, punk <laughs> so in 2001 her father passed away of cancer and she did a piece called hero that was dedicated to him that is actually a folkloric image of marina riding a white horse in the countryside while carrying a large white flag neither she nor the horse Aww. move and you hear a voiceover singing and humming a Serbian song dedicated to a conquered hero. So I feel like even everything that we said before about her childhood and everything that even when he passed away, she still did that for him was kind of a thing and yeah. kind of acknowledging um, their things that they had done in their lives a little bit in the um, one at the Banale so I kind of read that and yeah. was like, oh, snap. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, but what kind she, of mental exercises oh, did the horse do? <laughs> Here's the thing. Since that horse probably stayed. is used to getting run and forced to do a bunch of stuff that he was like, I'd love to stand here. Let me also rest. <laughs> like, can I lie down? Would love to stand still. I'm just glad no one's making me run or jump over something. Yeah. <laughs> She uh, she does a exhibit where she lives in uh, lives aesthetically for 12 days, strictly fasting and performing simply everyday tasks in three exposed cubes. This is another thing that I saw. I remember like, pictures this one. Of, but never knew what I was looking at. Yeah. Um, I think didn't Jay-Z visit this? Wasn't he inspired by her? Oh, this, this okay, is the sorry, next I, one. Well, not the next one, but it, no, it you're doing great. No, because she in 2004, she's given an honorary doctorate. And the next year, I feel like she starts thinking about performance art and how it is only there for the moment, because this is when she does seven easy pieces at the Guggenheim, which is seven reperformances of art works by her and other performance artists, including Bruce Nauman, Gina Payne, who suspends over a uh, suspends herself over a bed of lit candles um and uh joseph Buiz and then another guy who i took his name out because i was like oh because i kept reading everything and being like you know everyone only mentions bruce nauman and joseph Buies, and like sometimes they'll mention gina but like they don't mention all these other people but one of the other guys 
his performance was laying on on like wood planks underneath the floor of the gallery and jerking off while people walked in. So maybe that's why they didn't mention everyone's name. Um, <laughs> you know, that guy that, actually wasn't on the list. He showed up, <laughs> did that, and the gallery was too embarrassed. They were like, well, it's part of the exhibition <laughs> well, now. Well, and the first thing I thought was, that's just technically an apartment. <laughs> I, I just thought that's technically living in apartments. Oh, I was going to say, it was like, and my mom keeps asking me, well, has he asked you to dinner yet? He sounds like a nice young man. I know. It's like, you won't give that nice plank board jerk off guy a chance. <laughs> well, have you scraped the very bottom of the barrel? <laughs> Well, I was thinking that's just what living in an apartment is. Someone is always like one set of wood away coming near me anyways. You just like, I was thinking more, I was thinking more about how much I love reading placards in the museum and you get to that placard and you're just like, oh, what the fuck? Like you look down at the floor and you're just like, what? What? Did you guys read this? You know what he's doing down here. Read this placard. Like just telling on him. Um, Someone just pours so holy for, water between the floorboards. <laughs> Smoke comes up. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. for seven, <laughs> so for Marina's part of seven easy pieces, one of the um, reperformances she did was the lips of Thomas, where she slowly eats one kilo of honey with a silver spoon, slowly drinks one liter of red wine out of a crystal glass, breaks the glass with her right hand. Cuts a five-pointed star into her stomach with a razor blade. Violently whips herself until she can no longer feel any pain. Then lays down on a cross made of blocks. The heat of a suspended space heater pointed at her stomach causes the cut star to bleed and the rest of her body begins to freeze. She remains on the ice for 30 minutes until the audience interrupts the piece by removing the blocks from underneath her. What but, the fuck? But... The first time she did this was in 75. So after she did it this time, she said, looking backwards, I see that this is very autobiographical because there's so many elements in this piece that deal with my communist background and also the orthodox background of my family. It was everything kind of mixed in the cross, the commun the communist star on my stomach, the symbols of the honey and the wine. And only after many years of work, I saw that everything actually fits and everything is logic. So I never understood that piece until I did it in 2005. Interesting. So she, in terms of what you're saying about trauma, Jordan, and how you don't realize what you're doing, she did it again in 2005 and was like, Oh shit. This is what I've yeah. been doing. Yeah. She really yeah. was not like, you know what I mean? Realizing what you guys very obviously saw off the bat, you know? Yeah. Um. So in 2006, she gets married and buys an estate that she tries to make into um, an art uh, an art school that we'll talk about in a second after we talk about the MoMA. So 2010, Ooh. the artist is present. A art piece runs for three months where she sits down and looks in the eyes of every visitor who sat down opposite her. The mutual encounter, which she developed a few years together with Ule, was expanded and presented as to a large audience for the first time. The success of the show sparked collaborations later and visitors to the exhibit included stars like Lady Gaga and Jay-Z. But over like 
15, mm. uh, 1,545 people came over the course of three months. Wow. Um, to stare in her eyes. And that was amazing. And then it sparked. That's when people just popped off in terms of she did that. The exhibit popped off. There was another documentary. People were like, Jay-Z hangs out with who? She did The Last Unicorn, a documentary about James Franco. Um, she just starts doing a bunch of fun stuff. Then she gets in trouble because Jack Jacob Samuel. Oh, okay. So she did a piece called spirit cooking where she made up these fake recipes that would have things like, uh, 13,000 grams of jealousy and mix fresh breast milk with fresh sperm milk. It was like these weird made up recipes um, that uh, the work was inspired by the popular belief that ghosts feed off intelligible things like light, sound, and emotions. So she created this mm. with another artist. Um, oh, uh, like there was a, the, in 97, they created a multimedia version of it. Uh, that included gallery walls that had written in pig's blood, enigmatically violent recipe instructions. And so like, it was just <laughs> writing the recipes, I guess, in pig's blood in this uh, gallery. I'm telling you this because cool. in 2016, a month amongst a cache of emails, a leak from John Podesta and published by WikiLeaks, he asked, his brother asked for an invitation to this art show. Because of this, it was interpreted as a conspiracy theorist by Alex Jones and an invitation to a satanic ritual that was presented as a proof that, Dem that Democrat Hillary Clinton was linked to the occult. So Marina, because John Dude. Podesta's brother wanted to come to her show Get, has to like go on Reddit and explain that she's not like, it's insane. It's so funny that she has to like explain that she like people are going to bat with her saying that she is not a Satanist. Um, and all like, and that she, uh, is interested in the occult, but like, that isn't even what this was all of this stuff because of a WikiLeaks. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> So then she gets into TED Talks. She does um, some of her. Oh, so with, after the artist is present pops off and she gets all of this um, notoriety, they use a Kickstarter that uh, and uh, and donations from more than 4000 people, including Lady Gaga and Jay-Z to create the Marina Abramovic Institute, which was originally supposed to be a building that was actually canceled because it was over budgeted. So now they just visit other galleries and do workshops and things. Interesting. Um, okay. So, oh, she was on IFC's documentary now because they do a spoof of the artist is present uh, with Kate Blanchett. It's hilarious. If you haven't seen watch documentary now, they're all so good. Like they are the it's oh my gosh, fantastic. they're such funny, well done them. spoofs. They're so good. Um, like you have to not have to. They're still funny. If you see the original thing they're making fun of, you will die the entire time. They're so well done. Yes. Um, but in so she's had a lot of works that have been canceled because of COVID, like canceled and postponed. So she has some things that are coming up. But in 2021, she made a. Uh, crystal wall of crying and what i just i'm thinking about 
COVID and passing between two naked bodies. Just like the germs. (laughs) So funny. Well, that's kind of what she talks about. Um, the different ways that her exhibits now are more audience led. It's one of the exhibits that got postponed is like, uh, noise canceling headphones and blind and you walking through a space and exploring. She talks about how hard it was for her to sit at the artist's present. She lit- straight up was like, I'm 75. That was hard. Like I yeah. can't do the yeah. stuff that I did before, <laughs> even with the practices that I put in. So a lot of the works are a little bit different now. Like this is a work of the crystal wall that is literally supposed to be a wall of my remembrance of, um, a a massacre massacre that was a part of the holocaust and it's like her straight up just at the wall um just kind of breathing but yeah you can kind of see in her you know works that she's getting older oh and then one more controversy because i feel like i have to because i fangirled for her for two hours as a black woman i have to point out uh that something people have brought up is that in 1979 when she was uh hanging out with those indigenous australians she apparently wrote in her diary that they looked terrible and like dinosaurs and were strange and different and so people okay. have like really come after her about that. Um, and she has, there's a lot of back and forth because she has tried to say that she meant these are people that have been here so much before us. But then later she also says, yeah, I was shitty and naive and I came to love those people. And that isn't really what, you know what I mean? I don't know. And I read an article of her kind of, trying to answer it and it gets kind of dodgy and then she kind of just gets upset. Um, so I feel like maybe she's still coming to terms with something that eh, isn't just that great of an observation in retrospect, but is still, I feel like every time they tried to bring a, bring it up, she would bring about a valid, but, uh, not currently mattering point. Like she would be like, well, they're coming mm-hmm. after me extra because I'm a woman. And I would be like, that's not wrong. But what about the thing you said? You know what I mean? It was that kind of thing. So I would love yeah. to see if she revisits that at any point um, because I don't know how old that article was. Um, but more recently with um, the uh, war invasion of Ukraine, she uh, put out a short video that um said a lot of things, but among things of the Ukrainian people, they are proud, they are strong, they are dignified. An attack to Ukraine is an attack to all of us, an attack to humanity. Um, so delayed by the pandemic, uh, some of her works have been postponed almost three years. Um, one of the ones that she's kind of talking about, she said it's kind of big. And she said uh, it would have been a disaster in 2020 because it depends on the public, whatever it is. So your point, (laughs) Jordan. Yeah. Um, Someone asked her to make an NFT of her soul. She did not seem that interested. Um, But but the other thing in terms of everyone cope. But the other thing in terms of coping with the pandemic that has brought her up is her breathing exercises and her method that she uses for art is straight up a hype beast article because they made cards for them and people are like Marina Abramovic, uh, Abramovic's method is like changing my life to cope with just like the stress of the way the world is today. So that's another thing that happened with her recently. 
Wow. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, she's kind of a Zen master of like mastering her. Bre- oh my God. I listened, slight aside, but I did listen to a whole like yeah. I survived thing. I think it was the. <gasps> I think it was the the most recent my favorite murder episode where a woman was a biathlete and she got stabbed. And I listened to that on ESPN thirty for thirty. Yeah, it's It's crazy. So she like used her like breathing that she uses to like steady her heart rate and body during the biathlon to slow her heart rate so she wouldn't lose as much blood after she got stabbed. And I'm like, this bitch is a fucking survivor. No, she was shot. They shot her in the lung. Oh, she yeah, got shot her. in the lung you were right. You were right. and was found like four hours later. It's insane. I only remember because he was far away from her. But yeah, so it is. And I will say even in terms of breathing and stuff and physical therapy, I have had multiple like uh, trained medical professionals tell me that I can, if you tell me to isolate a part of my body, I can concentrate enough to do it. Mm -hmm. I can think about a muscle and be like, I'm tensing that up and let it go. So like, I can see how if you practice the kind of thing she talks about and breathing. And I was like listening to some of them just while I was typing stuff this morning. It's like for sure a thing that depending on how much you can control your mental state could help you through some shit. Um, I did that during nude modeling too. Ah, but also just to stay still. Yeah, because you have to hold the pose for like an hour. So you have to change what muscle groups you use without changing where your body is. To hold up the same part of your body. To give certain muscles a rest. Because I've seen nude models have a real hard time. Mm -hmm. Yo. It's like a mental thing. You have to like isolate your muscle groups and change it. And I've never seen anyone do one for more than 20 minutes before you switch. So an hour Mm -hmm. sounds insane. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so there's definitely something to all of these mental things uh, if you can practice them hard enough. But uh, the Marina Abramovic method is not to be taken too seriously. There's an element of fun that she is leaning into thanks to the Dalai Lama, who she met twice. Uh, And uh, she says... I always remember that he said to me, you have to always start with playfulness, with a joke, make people laugh to open their heart. And then you tell them the terrible truth after because they're ready. Wow. Dang. It's the compliment. Like this ties so much (laughs) into you. (laughs) I had no idea until I started researching all of the different ways that i fuck with this lady's brain for better or for worse so <laughs> yeah um that is me talking about marina Abramovic. i love her so much that i'm actually doing a comedy show inspired by the artist is present called the comic is present where i'm going to let a bunch of random people say whatever they want to me for 60 seconds and then when all 50 of those people are done doing that, I will do a set based off whatever happens. I love this. Amazing. And that's April 1st <laughs> is the first one. April Fool's Day is the first one. April 2nd is the second one. Um, but yeah, I'm starting with playfulness. And that's then so did beautiful. not know, did not know that that was, you know what I mean? But yeah, it all worked out. <laughs> What's crazy to me is I, from going to art school, I had a deep dislike of Maria Abramovic. I didn't really know about her story or her past or like her whole body of work. And I think a lot of my dislike comes from sort of kids who get obsessed with her and knock her off in ways that are like very self-indulgent and not. They Uh, don't come with like an honesty. They come with a sense of sort of like faux intellectualism or like moral superiority and so like the 
art kids, the kids who I went to art school with that were obsessed with Marina Abramovic, I was just like, I don't want to hang out with you and I don't like this. But you have As you by association of her fans. Yeah. Kind of like I that's the same way about Jesus. Same same idea. Is like <laughs> yeah, your fans fair. I just can't with them. But like you seem fine. But like I think you have really instilled with me, like I have so much more empathy for her as a person and also an appreciation for her body of work that I just didn't have before this episode. So honestly, great fucking job. (laughs) Oh, thanks. That makes me really happy. Well, that even for me, for some of the other ones that you see and you're like, what? Or I'm reading the description of and I'm like, what? And then you're like, at the end, oh, okay. Like, why are you running at each other with intense, intensifying speed? And it's like, oh, I'll so you feel like you're actually one and gender isn't real and slowly blurring into a hermaphroditic thing. And all of a sudden it doesn't seem as stupid, yeah. but she does talk about that in interviews that, and that was kind of one of her like defensive fallbacks in the interview about the Aboriginal comment. But it was something that was also valid where she was like, if I listen to everyone, I would never go outside. Cause there's people that don't even think what I do is art. So yeah. 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 But yeah, thanks so much for listening to me, y'all. That was a long one, but thank you. That was great. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, Yay. And if you like this and want to listen to all of the other episodes that are mostly Andrea and Jordan talking far more technically about (laughs) art, um, you can follow us at Pavangard, P-O-D-V-A-N-T-G-A-R-D-E at Instagram and Twitter and also our Facebook group for fan art uh cat memes a lot of fun conversation everything (laughs) hell yeah dude that's and there's also a link to our patreon in the description of this um episode and where do they get tickets to the comic is present oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) sorry and then if you want to Follow me. And Jordan's shaking her head. I did not remember. Because uh, I already <laughs> said it. I remembered to say it once. But yeah, if you do, if you live in LA or anywhere near LA and will be here uh, April 1st or April 2nd, please come um, to the Comic is Present. It's at the Lodge LA, which is an art gallery where I've met a bunch of badass people. Uh, Nils and Alice are my angels. Like even getting into this as a comic and finding this has been such a perfect meld of me loving art and it being in a gallery. It's going to be sick. That's super. So yeah, there's tickets where all my stuff is Katrina Savad, like my website everywhere. Uh, yeah. And I just quick, a quick reminder that we are going to be taking sort of a brief hiatus. Uh, so this will be our last episode until the end of April, probably around like April 26th. I think we should have another episode out just cause I'm gonna be out of town, baby. Uh, but yeah, that was really amazing. Um, you did make me cry. So I saw that and I didn't know if you wanted me to keep going or not. No, I'm, I'm glad you kept going. But when uh, when Katrina was talking about the Great Wall piece, I started tearing up because I was like, it's so beautiful and a poetic. And oh, stuff. this oh. is the one. That's the one they were talking about in the in the Facebook group. And they said, didn't they break up? And I said, yes, they broke up. It's in the documentary. I cried. <laughs> so Yeah, that made me cry. Just you I, talking about it made me well, cry. Oh. So. And I wasn't even, okay, so I wasn't even talking about the walk. In the documentary, he comes to the artist is present. Yeah. And so you just watch them sit there in silence. And that made me cry. And that was the first time that they had seen each other since the Great Wall. Since they broke up. 
and it had been oh, like, like 15 years now for the like artist that. is present okay it's so good though i have to <laughs> say though imagine that you're a dude that marina dates later and he's like hey babe you want to go on vacation to the great wall and she's like i have some pretty big memories <laughs> with an ex have a- <laughs> i did I did title that section The Great Breakup. Uh, I do feel like you would have a lot of history well, for sure. And I I should have said it earlier, but Ule did end up uh, suing her for taking all Wait. of the money and not paying him. What? But did they make up? Did they make up before he showed up that day, or no? No, they had not. They had not spoken or seen each other when he showed up to the artist as present, and then he sued her later because they had had an agreement. Uh, when they broke up, they had a a legal agreement that she would mm-hmm. sell all of the sellable artworks and it would be 50% to the gallery 30% to her and 20% to Ule and then she Uh paid him four times and then just never paid him again oh but also he didn't sue her until after they met at that exhibit though or yeah oh that's that's even more interesting that's what I'm saying I thought you were saying he you know they had already been in and outs but that's even more interesting yeah that's crazy dude um, but my headphones but yeah, wait, are dying, so... Oh, yeah, let's get out of here. Say your stuff real quick. You can find me on Instagram at Gooniebird Crafts and The Gooniebird. Um, I really, really want to thank everybody who reached out about our last episode and just the very kind and sweet and wonderful connections. Um, and, you know, you guys are absolutely seen and heard and I love you and don't let other people make Yay. you feel bad about the person that you are or the way that you Yay. look or the way that you walk around in this world because it's better that you're here and I love you. Thank you. Hell yeah. And uh, if you like that me and you want to see my first solo art show that I made 63 pieces of art for, uh, come to VAR Gallery in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> Uh, I'll be there April 9th. It opens, but if you're kind of in the area, I think it's open till June, the first week of June. So if you're around Milwaukee, go check it out. There's like some really cool stuff. And I've literally been working on nothing but this for four months straight. So please like it. (laughs) Yay. It's going to be here. And I, yeah. Yeah, thank you all so much for listening. And uh, we love you. We love you. We love you. Bye. Hey, guys. Andrea here. Um, I'm asking for your help a little bit today. Because Jordan, Katrina, and I are all comedians and artists who don't have any experience editing sound, and because this is a sound-based medium, we have asked an editor to help us with our episodes. Um, We had a few issues early on with some of the early recordings, and we're working on getting those sorted out. Um, And part of that is just having an audio engineer. So in order to be able to actually pay him and pay him a fair rate, uh, we're asking for your help. We've set up a Patreon, patreon.com slash podvantgarde. And our goal is that we can pay him not from our own pockets, but from the 
resources of the show itself, which means we need your help. Um, we're also planning on starting to release bonus episodes. We'll start with one a month. Um, and as that Patreon rate increases, we'd like to eventually expand that to a bonus episode every week. And the bonus episodes will be more, um, a little bit more loose fit. We'll be covering art uh like current events and weird things that happen because there's a lot of like weird stuff going on in the art world right now um especially around nfts especially around ai and i think it's really interesting and worth talking about but we just need to be able to pay someone to edit that bonus content um i would also say that in terms of the time cost you know katrina jordan and i all are supporting ourselves outside of this show this show takes a lot of time i'm probably spending at least three days a week with every episode just researching we're buying books um katrina's editing the time codes she's building our website she's doing all our social media jordan is also researching her own episodes and my goal for the patreon is just that it can become something that you know we're not looking to get rich i don't think that's ever been our goal i don't think we ever think that could be our goal but what i'd like to be able to happen eventually is that the patreon can become a way for us to just pay ourselves a living wage for the time that we invest into this show. My experience uh, with Cult Podcast um, is that it's really hard to make a show every single week and not have other financial resources. So what I want is that this Patreon can eventually become a financial resource for us. It can help us support ourselves and it can help us to continue putting the show out so that we don't get burnt out and want to pull our hair out. Um, we love you so much and we think that the show is really important. I personally think that we need more podcasts that cover history and art history from a feminist, anti-colonial queer perspective and that's where we're coming from as artists and as art historians and comedians we love you we love this show thank you so much for supporting it that's again at patreon.com slash and thanks guys <laughs>